I invite you to turn this evening to the book of Proverbs, first of all to Proverbs chapter 5 and then to some other places as well, considering tonight how it is that, as Proverbs 18 says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord, and as Proverbs 19 says, houses and riches are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Those two are our texts tonight, but first of all, a couple other passages, and I thought after our two sermons on the callings of husbands and wives, and to preach tonight about the seeking, the desiring, the praying for a godly spouse. Proverbs is written really as a, uh, the word of a father to his son, so it takes the form of um, seeking a, a son seeking a wife. Much, of course, could be said the other way as well. It's a blessing for uh, a woman to receive a godly husband. But Proverbs chapter 5, first of all, these six verses... Proverbs 5, verse 1, My son, pay attention to my wisdom, lend your ear to my understanding, that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell, lest you ponder her path of life. Her ways are unstable, you do not know them. In contrast to that woman, let's go to the end of Proverbs chapter 31 to read about the virtuous woman. Proverbs 31 at verse 10. Proverbs 31 at verse 10. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She's like the merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profit, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her 
in the gates. Now to our text, Proverbs 18 and 19. Proverbs 18, verse 22. First of all, Proverbs 18, verse 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And then Proverbs 19, actually verse 13, speaks of the contentious wife who her contentions are a continual dripping. That's in verse 13. But verse 14 says, Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Let's turn to our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for all the grace you show us through your word. We pray that you might speak to our hearts tonight. You might instruct us as children, as young adults, as parents and grandparents about how to think about marriage, how to pray concerning it. We pray, Lord, that you would show us our Lord Jesus in all of this. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, people of God, it's good to turn to the book of Proverbs because it reminds us that God cares about his children, the children of his church, and about his young people and young adults. Because Proverbs is a book written to young adults, a father speaking to his son. And it's a book that God's provided filled with special instruction. That's, that's obviously what we call practical teaching. It, it so obviously is applied to the, the nitty-gritty, the particulars of life. And so God, by giving a whole book of this kind of instruction to the young person, is revealing that he cares about the children of the church, young people and young adults, as they, as they grow up, as they come to formative years, as they enter adulthood, that they might walk in wisdom's way. We need wisdom. We need wisdom about our decisions, Proverbs teaches us, and perhaps there's no more important decision other than the decision to follow Jesus. There's probably no more important decision the decision of who we will marry, right? It has a tremendous effect upon life for good or for ill, right? There, there's no one who's going to have more of a bearing upon your, your comfort or your distress than the person who lives beside you perhaps for many, many years. And so in choosing a spouse, we need wisdom, and without wisdom, we will fail miserably. We can, we can think that just naturally we know what's good, but we don't. The Bible says we don't. We're naturally fools, We need the wisdom of God. And that wisdom, the Bible says, comes to us through Jesus Christ. In fact, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 says that Christ Jesus became to us wisdom from God. He became to us wisdom from God. He is is our heaven-sent wisdom, this Lord Jesus Christ. And so... Wisdom is not natural. Wisdom is, is not something you can buy at the store. Wisdom is not something that, that just happens to occur wherever there's people who have PhDs behind their name. Wisdom is a gift of grace. It's purchased by the cross of Jesus. It's given from heaven. And so in the book of Proverbs, if you understand that, then what's happening here, as this whole book teaches us the way of wisdom, is that the Lord Jesus Christ is offering himself to us. He's offering himself to us and all of his love for us as his sheep. And he's holding out his hands. In fact, at one point in in Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom is personified, right, as a woman who who stands on the hill and who cries out and says, walk in my ways. Well, this this is Jesus. He's offering himself, saying, follow me, walk with me. And so 
in all of our responses to the particulars of life and in our response to this question about dating and marriage, we are responding to Jesus. It's about our relationship to Jesus. And the Lord Christ is calling us to keep covenant with God, to be faithful to God, to follow God when it comes to desiring and seeking a spouse. So look at that tonight, that calling to follow Christ. First of all, the gift of a wife. We see a calling to trust God for the gift of a wife or a husband. And then we see the search for a wife, the calling to trust Christ for the search of a wife or the prayer for a husband. Well, Proverbs 19, verse 14 says it beautifully. Houses and riches, those are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife, and that means a wise wife, an understanding wife, a spiritually sensitive wife, a prudent wife is from the Lord. I should say up front that I come to that proverb with a great deal of affection for it and with a great deal of sympathy for those who are single and longing to be married because this proverb meant a lot to me as I waited to be married for more years than I anticipated. I, I think I assumed that I would go off to a reform college and by the time I finished that I'd be married and that didn't happen and then I went to seminary for three years and I assumed by the end of seminary I'd be married because who enters the ministry as a single man? I didn't see that very often but three years of seminary and that didn't happen and then five years in the ministry, still not married. But this was a comfort that a, a godly wife is from the Lord. And it was helpful to reason backwards that if my own parents, who are always loving and generous, would do anything to provide me a godly wife, how much more my Father in heaven? He gives a wife. And so Proverbs nineteen fourteen here is a calling to look to the good giver, to trust God through Jesus Christ, that he gives good gifts to his people. And we should remember Romans 8.32, that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? God's done the great thing. He gave his son. Is he going to withhold from you food or clothing or job or spouse? No, if it's his will, if that's how he will have you serve him, he will provide. And so we're to remember that God is for us and not against us. At three years old, the covenant Lord is for his covenant child. At 13 years old, he is for his covenant adolescent. At 23 years old, he is for his young adult. To 93, 103, the Lord is for us and not against us. He does not seek to destroy us, but to bless us in Christ. So we're called to trust the Lord. By this proverb, when trials come into our lives, whether it's waiting on God for a marriage partner or if we lose our marriage partner, the Lord is saying, I'm the God who loves you and blesses you through my son. Now, there's uh, an interesting contrast here, isn't there, in Proverbs 19, 14. Houses and riches are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. What's the contrast? Well, the one contrast is that a prudent wife is far more significant than houses and riches. There's a lot of men who are rich, but who would give anything to have a different wife. A prudent wife is a jewel beyond all riches. But there's another contrast here as well, isn't there? And it's between what is received in an ordinary way and what is received in an extraordinary way. 
I mean, you could say houses and riches, they're from fathers. Isn't, isn't, aren't all gifts from heaven? Isn't every good and perfect gift from above? And the answer is yes, houses and riches come from God. But, but the, the writer here is drawing a contrast between things that are received in a predictable way by an ordinary course of providence. Normally, a father has wealth, and when he dies, it goes to his children. In Bible times, to the son. Inheritance laws were well defined. Everybody knew it, that when the dad dies, the, the house, the riches go to the son. It's that simple. You could see it coming from a mile away. But marriage is different, isn't it? Just because you're born into such and such a family or just because you have Christian parents, it doesn't guarantee that just automatically you get a good wife or a good husband. Sometimes things seem to occur rather naturally. Somebody grows up and marries the person they went to church with as a child. And sometimes someone grows up and marries a woman from the other side of the world who can account for the wondrous providence. Inheritances can be arranged by parents. Even today you can write out a will. But even if you lived in a culture that arranged marriages, so if from three years old you already knew who you are going to marry, your parents could not guarantee that person would be a godly person might be a wicked person. Even if they were born in a Christian home, they might turn out to be a wicked person. So there's something extraordinarily mysterious, wonderful, beyond us, that a godly wife comes from no one other than the hand of God. Who can make a woman wise in Christ but Christ? Who can make a husband wise in Christ but Christ? This is a work of grace. This is a wonder of God. Only God gives such a spouse. And yet, God has done it from the beginning, from day one, right? Well, day six, I guess. That out of the side of Adam, God formed a woman. And we read, having formed the woman, he brought her to the man. He brought her to the man. What a glorious matchmaker our God is. He gave Adam a wise wife. And when Adam and Eve became fools through rebellion, God changed their hearts and made them wise in Christ and gave them back to each other again. God's glorious matchmaking is written across the pages of the Bible. Who can forget that story of Abraham who makes his servant swear that he'll take a wife for Isaac, Abraham's son, not from the Canaanites, but he'll go north to Haran and get one from the relatives, from the family. And the servant of Abraham, he goes up there, and then he at the well, he prays to God, Lord of the covenant, grant me success. And may be the woman who comes to the well. And when I ask for a drink, she offers to water the camels. May that be the one. And before he's done praying, Rebecca comes. And she passes the test with flying colors. And soon the servant is praising God that he has given a wife for Isaac. Or the story of Ruth. She was a Moabite of all things. A Moabite, not an Israelite. You remember Naomi and her husband left the land of Israel and went to the land of Moab and their sons married Moabite women. And uh, Naomi's husband dies and the sons die and, and there's no children to those two marriages. And when Naomi decides to go home and all of her bitterness back to the land of Israel, 
Ruth clings to her and goes with her. And when they come back to the land, Ruth just happens to go gleaning in the field of Boaz, who just happens to be a near relative. And it just happens in God's providence that that when they call upon Boaz to redeem them, to marry Ruth and to save this family, that there's a near relative who refuses to do his duty. He opens the door for Boaz to do it. And so Boaz marries Ruth, and he redeems Naomi then, and he saves the family, as it were, and through Ruth and Boaz come the line of the Lord Jesus. Or one more, you could think of Joseph and Mary. Who is it that makes a woman who when the angel comes and says to her, you're going to have the Christ child, the Spirit's going to come on you. She says, I'm your servant, Lord. May it be according to your will. And who could match her with a wise husband who, when she becomes pregnant, seeks to put her away quietly for her infidelity. But when he's told in a dream that this is not infidelity, this is the work of the Spirit in her womb, He submits and he takes Mary, despite what everyone might say, and he protects her. What a glorious God, giving godly husbands and godly wives, forming these matches. It's an extraordinary thing. Houses and riches are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. God is the divine matchmaker. We sung Psalm 139 tonight that that God knows us. He formed us in the womb. He, He knows us individually, our propensities, our weaknesses, our needs, our personalities. Who can match us better than God? Dating websites might have extensive questionnaires for you to fill out. And maybe they have algorithms that are good at matching people, maybe with With artificial intelligence, AI now, they can match in extraordinary ways, but God knows everything. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Charles Bridges writes, The good thing is when he honors her, not as the wisest and holiest of women, but as the person whom God saw to be the best and most fit for himself in all the world. A comfort for life, a help to heaven. Thus she becomes the one object of his undivided heart. How encouraging and comforting God's word is for all those who long to be married. We have a lot of young adults in this congregation. And God's saying that he performs the work. And so you can live in patience and and contentment, even though it may not be easy. And you can wait on the Lord in peace. You don't have to to live a frantic life. You don't have to get desperate and I'll just take anyone. You don't have to fear like you're missing out on one. You don't have to think even that your life is on hold. And all these waiting years are meaningless. No, these these two are days from God's hand. You can receive them as that, that your Father in heaven... He's given you these days, so be happy in him, serve him. If you're single right now, you may have opportunities you'll never have again in life. You get married and things change drastically. These are unique opportunities. Use them for God's good. Marriage is good, but it's not the ultimate good. We should say that tonight as well. Marriage is the norm, but it's not the absolute norm. Jesus teaches us that marriage is, if God chooses to give it to us, it's a temporary good. It serves an eternal good, but it itself is a temporary arrangement because Christ said in the resurrection there will be no marriage. 
So marriage is for the earth. It's for this life. God calls some to singleness for a time. He calls some to singleness for a lifetime. He's called all of us to singleness for some period of our existence, right? None of us were born married. And where God calls someone to be single, there's strength in that. There's blessing that God bestows in that. There's grace and support. There's a family God gives us in the church of Jesus. And God is doing good to his children. If we never get married, we haven't missed out on the great good. If we never get married, it doesn't mean our our life is unserviceable to the Lord. God has his purposes for each of his children, and he loves each of his children. But as God calls most of his children to marriage, so he holds out the goodness of it. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Desiring marriage and seeking marriage is a a good thing. It's a noble desire, not something you have to be embarrassed about. Maybe when we're boys and girls, somebody says, you're going to get married, then everyone laughs as if it's some silly thing. But you grow up and realize, you know what, This this is how God made us. This is... This is the norm. Many in our culture are diminishing the value of marriage, but God extols it. A wife is a great blessing, a true friend for all times, a faithful helper and encourager, a co-heir of the grace of God, a partner in the service of Christ's kingdom, one with whom you may, by God's grace, perhaps be allowed to build a home, to have children and raise them up for the Lord. Marriage bond is one in which you can enjoy unity spiritually, emotionally, physically. A godly husband is a blessing to have one who, who loves the Lord. He, she who is found by a godly man receives favor from the Lord. It's a, a true friend and companion, a protector and a provider, an encourager and a keeper, a fellow pilgrim in the journey. So it's a good thing. So there's a calling here for those who are wanting to be married to wait upon the Lord. A prudent wife is from the Lord. Look to the Lord, trust in the Lord, rest in the Lord. But there's also a calling here for others. There's a calling for parents. If a prudent wife is from the Lord and she's more important than houses and riches, then we ought to put a lot more into thinking and praying for our children's marriage than we do into securing them a financial future. Parents have saved up for college and poured over applications for this and that and have neglected to teach their children about how to marry. Pray from the youngest days for your child to be a good husband or a wife. Pray from the youngest days for the Lord to provide a godly husband or wife if it's his will that they marry. There's also a calling here that if you are married, you should rejoice. If God's given you a Uh, A wise wife or a godly husband, give thanks to God. It's a gift of his grace. Matthew Henry, the Puritan, and he's kind of a household name for his commentary on the Bible. He writes, if a man has such a wife, let him not ascribe it to the wisdom of his own choice or his own management. For the wisest have been deceived both in and by a woman. But let him ascribe it to the goodness of God who made him a helpmeet for him, and perhaps by some hits and turns of providence that seemed casual, brought her to him. 
Happy marriages, we are sure, are made in heaven. If you have a godly spouse, give God thanks. Thirdly, we could say this, that if you've lost your spouse, you can still give thanks for all the years God has given to you. Half of all married Christians will have to say goodbye to their spouse. But Proverbs 19 teaches us that we can give thanks for the match God made and for all the years he granted. We can recognize that our Christian companion was not the work of fate or luck or chance, but the one we enjoyed was from the hand of God. And if God showed his love in giving that spouse, then we know that God still loves us if he takes that spouse. And so in the sorrows and the loss and loneliness, we look up to our Father in heaven, not understanding his providence, but trusting his love. Houses and riches are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. That is, all capital letters, meaning Yahweh, Jehovah, from the covenant Lord, the God who keeps covenant with his people. The spouse is a gift from God, a godly spouse. Well, then secondly tonight, let's think about the search for a wife, the search for a wife. Proverbs 19 14 says that it's from the Lord. Proverbs 18, verse 22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. To seek a wife, to find a wife is a good thing. If Proverbs says many things to the, to the young man about turning away, running away from the immoral woman, then Proverbs also would commend the seeking of a godly woman, right? There's always two sides. Turn from what's evil, turn to what's good. And so with all the zeal you need to use to run from the immoral woman who will seduce you, you need to seek, by God's grace, the godly woman, and in a godly way. We're to seek a, not just a wife, but a, a godly wife, a Christian wife. 1 Corinthians 7 speaks that of believers being free to marry. He says even the widow is free to marry whom she pleases, Paul says. She's free to marry whom she pleases if her husband died. But he says, but only in the Lord. Only in the Lord. That's the firm rule of Scripture. Marry only in the Lord. That means that we marry a Christian. Because how can we honor the Lord with whom we're in covenant if we choose one who disregards him? Sometimes an unbelieving couple hears the gospel and one marriage partner believes and the other one doesn't. And so now you have a couple, a mixed marriage. And, and the, the apostle says, if that's the case, if you're the believer living with an unbeliever, if the unbeliever is willing to stay married, you stay married. But when it comes to, as a single person, seeking a spouse, the Bible says marry only in the Lord. Now, Samson had trouble with this. Samson was, was a bit of a womanizer, and Samson in the Bible, well, he didn't do well. We read that he came home to his father Manoah and said that he wanted to marry one of these ladies who was a Philistine. And then Samson's father and mother said to him, 
Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Samson was taken with a woman, maybe with her outward beauty, but he, he did not see her inward deformity. She was not among God's people. Proverbs 31 reminds us that charm is deceitful, beauty is passing, it's fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. I was speaking to a younger man who was divorced. He actually grew up in the church. He was explaining that his marriage fell apart. I hadn't seen him for years. And he was telling me all this, and then all of a sudden with a grin he said, but she was a lot of fun. Well, good looks and fun personalities may be fun for a while, but if that's all there is, there's misery in the end. Misery. Proverbs 19.13 speaks of the contentions of a wife as a continual dripping. To, to live with a woman who's always criticizing or complaining or pecking at you, who's in love with the things of the world, that's misery. To have a husband who's... who's Self-concern, it's all about himself and his hobbies and who doesn't love the Lord. It becomes misery. The whole book of Proverbs is really the, a book about choosing between two women. The, the woman of wisdom, lady wisdom and lady folly, right? And those are personified at times, foolishness and wisdom. But then that comes to expression in the choice between the immoral woman who, who doesn't fear God and the wise woman, the godly woman, between the woman who tears down her house and has, a, has a, a, a destructive tongue and the woman with the law of kindness upon her lips and who builds up. Proverbs 12, verse 4 says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. Physical beauty is a gift of God. Physical attraction is a gift of God. But Proverbs 31 reminds us that it's not the most important thing. And if all you look is upon the outward appearance, then you will be led astray. So seek a woman who fears the Lord. Seek a man who fears the Lord. Don't trust your own judgment either. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. and all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path, Proverbs 3. So we listen to the words of Scripture. We, we act wise. You know what wisdom is in the Bible? Wisdom is to fear God. It's to listen to God. Wisdom is to look to the long-term consequence. So guys should say, is this the woman I want to love for the rest of my life? Is this the woman that I want to lay down my life for? Is this the woman I want beside me when I'm going through cancer treatments? Is this the woman I want to stand beside when, when she's in the hospital? Is this the woman with whom I would want to raise a family? And the lady could say the same thing. Is this the man I want to submit to? Is this the one whose leadership I want to arrange my life under? Is this the man I, I want to serve and support? Is he going to live the kind of life that, I, that I'm going to be wanting to support? Look for godliness. Look for godly beauty. Look for 
a person who's happy in the Lord, who's a servant in the church, someone who has their thoughts and lips under control, someone who gives to others, someone who's zealous for God, someone who loves to attend worship services. Don't marry a fool. Listen to the voice of God. And listen to your parents. How often Proverbs doesn't say that, right? Listen to your parents. Receive their instruction. They may seem old and out of touch, but you know, they used to be pretty cool. They were once young people. They went through all the same things. So did your grandpas and grandmas, by the way. They were once your age. They were once as strong and fit as you. And don't trust your own judgment about yourself, but trust God's word. Say to the Lord, search me, Lord. Am I wanting to get married for the right reasons? Am I, am I wanting a partner to serve your kingdom with? Seek a marriage partner who will help you live for the Lord. Who will help you stand for the Lord in a wicked world. Charles Bridges writes, If in a state of innocence it was not good for a man to be alone, much more in a world of care and trouble, Two are better than one for mutual support and helpfulness and sympathy. Seek a spouse who will help you live a godly life in a godless world. Marry somebody who's a church member. Not necessarily of this church, but of a faithful church. Not just one who says they're a Christian, but one who has church membership. One who has, who has been tested by an eldership, who has willingly made a public profession of faith, one who serves a body of believers in a committed way, one who's living a holy life. Proverbs 31 says, a virtuous wife, who can find, right? I think it was the English preacher Charles Spurgeon who made the quip. I don't know why Solomon's so confused. A virtuous wife, who can find? That's easy. Go to church. It's full of them. Well, it's true. Most of them are married, but the Lord brings others who are not married. That's the place you want to find, one who loves the Lord. And so we can be thankful for church, the one we belong to. We can be thankful for other opportunities to know believers from other churches. We could go on a mission trip. We could attend a youth conference. We can give thanks for the opportunities the Lord provides and we can meet people who are, like us, new creation, made by the hands of God, reformed by the hands of Jesus Christ to be wise. As you wait on the Lord, redeem the time. That's the answer of Scripture. Redeem the time. Develop your personality in ways that make you attractive and prepare you to be a blessing. You may think you're pretty good already. Joy and I used to laugh about how prior to marriage we thought we were decent people, but after getting married... I thought, wow, I'm a lot more selfish than I thought. Marriage is the school of character, and it can show you what a character you are. But, but you can work on your personality and your life and your service before you're married. You can ask friends or parents and say, what are my rough spots? What are my rough spots? We all have them. And above all, pray to the Lord. That's how you seek a spouse. Pray to your heavenly Father who knows your needs, who knows your desires, who himself has given to us desires for marriage or children or sexual intimacy or companionship. God formed us, surely he knows. Cry out to your Father, who Psalm 139, who knows your thoughts, 
Before you think them, your words before you speak them, who knit you together in your mother's womb, cry out to this father. Years of waiting for marriage can be years of learning to pray. Ask, seek, and knock. And then, as Bridges says, then you can receive a spouse from his hand, rejoicing that what you've obtained, a gift of God, not as a matter of fortune or chance or even your own wisdom and efforts, but you have, if you've prayed for it, you have obtained in the same way Adam received his bride from the Lord as a token of God's favor. Prayer. But finally tonight, let me say something about dating practices. In Proverbs 18.22, we read, He who finds a wife, finds a good thing. It doesn't say, he who finds someone to share an apartment with him, or he who finds a one-night stand, finds a good thing. It says, he who finds a wife. Many in our culture want the privileges of marriage without the responsibilities of marriage. And so they, they lean over the fence and pluck the fruit of the garden instead of coming in through the gate, the gateway of marriage. And so they're thieves. But Christ's young people and Christ's adults, they belong to Jesus. You belong to the Lord. You are not your own. And he's jealous for you. And so he says finding a wife or being found by a man is a good thing. So... Seek such a one in terms of that marriage. If marriage is the goal, then do our dating or courtship practices reflect that reality? I speak here not just to, to, to children and to adults, young adults, whatever aged adults, but I speak to parents, grandparents. Do we believe that the good thing when it comes to relationship with a person of the opposite sex, do we believe the good thing is the marriage? Do we believe that when, we're in, when they're in high school? Do we believe it when they're in junior high? Do we believe that the good thing is not the dating or not the coupling? The good thing is the marriage. Because if we do, then it has to affect what we believe about dating practices. The world's way of dating, with all of its emotional scarring, the baggage baggage of sexual immorality it loads up, the pattern of unfaithfulness it teaches, is that helpful? The world doesn't esteem marriage God's way, so why would we assume that their dating practices bless marriage? If we believe marriage is the goal... Then parents want to prepare their children to enter into marriage equipped and ready with pure hands and a clean conscience. And that means that if as parents we invite children who are far too young for marriage to build deep emotional bonds of intimacy with another child, to spend hours alone together, to be expected to expect to be treated by the whole family as if they're a couple, just like mom and dad. But then meanwhile, we expect them to avoid all kinds of sexual immorality. Then we're only fooling ourselves. He 
he who finds not a girlfriend finds a good thing. It's not he who finds a boyfriend finds a good thing. But he who finds a wife. He who is, she who is given a husband. In our dating practices, then we must listen to God's word, making sure that whatever form that getting to know one another takes, and I'm not going to try to develop a detailed dating philosophy tonight, but whatever form it takes, it's to serve the goal of marriage. Or to say it differently, if our dating practices weaken marriage, cheapen the language of love, undermine the honor of commitment, load future marriages up with sinful habits and tons of regret, then they can't be God's way of dating courtship. So we have to ask, do our dating practices honor marriage as the goal? Do our dating practices guard sexual purity as a valuable gift to be given to one's spouse? Do our dating practices foster respect for the kind of one man, one woman bond of marriage? Do our dating practices respect a girl's father as the God-appointed guardian of his daughter? Do our dating practices love the person we're dating, even if it turns out they're not the person we're going to marry? Is our behavior towards a girl going to be a blessing to our future marriage if it's not to us? These are the questions we have to ask. Unfortunately, we live in a world where Children way too young to make almost any decision are wanting to be treated as couples and have almost all the privileges of marriage. doesn't make any sense. And yet, as we hear this tonight, we probably all have some regrets. None of us, few of us, I'm sure, have done these things perfectly. And yet, the Lord is gracious. He's the God of grace. 1 Corinthians 1 says not only that Jesus Christ has become wisdom from God for us. You are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. If tonight you have regrets or failures, there's a Savior. His name is Jesus. And therefore, it's not if you've blown or messed up, everything's lost. But there's the path of repentance. Saying, Lord, I've sinned. Please forgive me. There's sanctification. Lord, make me new so I don't sin anymore. There's the joy of redemption. Lord, you've bought me as your own. I belong to you. And so, as we fall upon the Lord Jesus Christ... And as we promise him, as we seek to follow his wisdom, then we can begin again with a fresh start and say, Lord, I'll rest in you. I'll go your way. I'll cry out to you. Will you grant me? Will you grant me a wife, a godly wife? Will you grant me a husband, a godly husband? And Lord, if you grant me such a one, I will give all thanks, all thanks to you. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have so loved us that you don't leave us to ourselves. But you, in mercy, give to us great gifts. We thank you for the gift of the body of Christ, for the family we have together and one another. We thank you for our fellowship with you. And we do thank you, God, for husbands and wives, for marriages that you form, for your purposes. 
Can we lift up prayers tonight of gratitude for couples that you have brought together to serve you, who have found in one another a help? We lift up prayers tonight, Lord, for those whose, whose hearts ache because you've called away a wife or a husband. And Lord, we pray that you give special comfort and grace to those who sorrow. And Father, we lift up prayers tonight for your children, your young people, your young adults, for all of your adults who desire to be married. Father, will you help them? Will you provide for them? Would you and your great love for them give to them a husband, a wife, if that be your will? We pray, Lord, that you would keep them and preserve them in the way of holiness, that you will lead them and guide them, that you will give them encouragement and patience, and that you will form marriages in your time. We pray, Lord, for those you call to be single. Grant them joys in their service. Provide the fellowship they need in the body of Christ. And encourage them, O Lord, that they might not feel forgotten in the church of Jesus. We thank you for our Lord Christ who lived a single life as a holy, fruitful life. For the Apostle Paul who lived a single life, a fruitful life. And we know, Lord, that for some that is the calling We pray, Lord, that you'll give grace, whatever our calling in this life, and may we hold together as one family, rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep, and pulling along each other as we make our journey to that great day when earthly marriage will be no more, but the marriage of the supper of the Lamb will have come as we look forward to that together. Hear us in Jesus' name. Amen.